Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This message by Pastor Eric Ludy is entitled Christian Valor. Christians who have a spine of steel and bravely fight for the glory of God and faithfully blow the trumpet of the gospel in the face of any and every adversity seem to be few and far between in our day and age. Yet we must remember that God never fails to raise up mighty men and women in every generation to fight for the glory due His name. Please contact us at www.ellersley.com. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. Father, we as the church must learn how to lift high the name of Jesus. In every moment of every day, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be built to be glory bearers. Lord, may we not be Americanized. May we be truly built after the pattern of the kingdom of heaven. May we tremble before your word. May we be shaped by the mighty hand of God. And this morning, I pray that not one of us would leave the way we are arriving. Lord, may you take this message. And may the words have weight to them. And may they resound in our souls. May they convict us where we need conviction. May they encourage us where we need encouragement. But Lord Jesus, we invite you this morning to work in our midst. And we give you the throne. We say be high and exalted. The control position belongs to you. We are nothing outside of our Jesus. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Now look at this title. Christian Valor. You see, that's like, I don't know if you could call it an Eric Ludy title, because all of them are Eric Ludy titles, technically. But there's certain words that stir me. And a word like valor, it just does. I mean, you could just have it floating through the air, and someone walks by me and goes, valor, and I'll goof. There's just something about the concept of valor, okay? And that's one of the themes of today is I'm going to talk about valor. Not just any valor. You notice that there is a, a defining adjective to this, and it's Christian valor, okay? That defines it, and it modifies what kind of valor we're talking about here. So, you know, first and foremost, every message here at Ellerslie talks about one thing, Jesus, So if we're going to talk about Christian valor, we're talking about Jesus. He is the enunciation of this concept. And the most important thing for us as Christians to understand is it's not merely a study and a meditation upon a man in history. First of all, this man lives. Secondly, this man is intending to live in you. I know, even for us, you know, not us, I was going to say us women. You women. (laughs) Even for you women... A man is intending to live inside of you, but this isn't just any man. This is God Almighty. And he intends to be the enunciation and the animation of Christian valor in and through us. Okay, now, let's get something out on the table. It's funny, but the type of guys that come to Ellerslie, we're not necessarily just on the outside going to look like the soldiers. Okay, now we do have some tall ones. We do have some larger ones. I remember Tristan Cork came through and we're like, okay, now that guy fits. Uh, The rest of us are sort of the average-looking skinny guys, okay, or or pudgy guys, whichever way you want to look at it. We don't look like we're fit for battle. 
And if anyone was a betting man, they're not going to bet on an Ellerslie guy. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, that guy looks like he could take down a thousand with the jawbone of a donkey. And that's not what anyone is going to think on the outset. But I want you to realize that we as men are not measured by what we look like on the outside, but what is stored away on the inside, ready to come out at any moment. Okay, so this message is dedicated to the mighties in my intimate ranks. Ben Zorns, who, by the way, doesn't look, you know, the leading man hero role, right? I mean, he's a slight build, even slighter than I am, which is pretty slight. My mom was always wanting to give me a good meal. And then whenever I visited my grandma, she wanted to give me a good meal. They all figured they could fatten me up. I'm unfattenupable. No matter how many good meals you give me, Sandy's tried more than a few times. I think if I could just feed him a little more Friday chicken, he would start to burst at the seams. No, you know what? I'm a slight package, but Ben Zorns is even slighter. And then you take like Nathan Johnson, okay? He just doesn't look the part. You pin him into a corner in a back alley. You know, he just is too nice. He's going to laugh. <laughs> now, we do have one. So this is dedicated to Ben Zorns, Nathan Johnson, and Dan McConaughey. Now, Dan McConaughey, like I said, every once in a while, God throws in the one that actually has the package. He's, he's our resident Chuck Norris, okay? <laughs> Just in case anyone's thinking of plotting a conspiracy against us, we, like, put Dan on the website and go, hey, but watch out, okay? But this is dedicated to my intimate mighties, you know, because there's something that allies us, and it's not just Jesus Christ in the most simplistic sense. It's not just the message of the gospel we have here. It's not just the desire to disciple young people. There's something, and it's a deeper theme. And it's more than this, what I'm going to talk about today. However, this is one of the allying points here at Ellerslie. This is one of the things that, it's hard to describe, but when men are attracted to this environment, there's something inside of them that they don't know how to articulate it, but I'm going to put articulation to it. There's a sense of honor, a sense of nobility, a sense of courage. And it's, it comes in a funny package. I want you to realize that Samson was not ever described as a muscular man. Never. Now, why would the Philistines have been so mystified as to far as how his strength even got there? Where his power came from if he was bulging with biceps that were three feet high? You know that David's mighty men were just everyday men? You know that David himself was an everyday guy? In fact, he was so unimpressive that no one would have dreamed that he would have been the guy. Saul, it says that he was head and shoulders above all of Israel. He was Israel's Goliath. David, on the other hand, was the eighth son of Jesse, not even invited to the king crowning ceremony. It's like, you've got to be kidding. David? No way. That's what I love about Christianity. It takes a whole bunch of Davids. A whole bunch of men and women that don't look the part. And it pours a ram's horn of oil on top of their head. And suddenly the Spirit of God comes upon them and they do exploits. You see, we are built, not just after the natural, to do great things. But after a supernatural pattern, we are equipped to do things on this earth that no human man could ever do. You take the strongest middle linebacker. You take the strongest offensive lineman and match him against the smallest 
little deadly squat Christian man. And the Christian man wins. You take all the strongest and match them against one singular little deadly squat Christian man. The Christian man wins. This is not just an issue of natural force. This is an issue of spiritual power. Spiritual authority. We have the gusto of God in our soul. You know why God chose Paul? I'm not going to say this is the only reason he chose Paul. Paul was obviously a willing vessel at a certain level too. But Paul, his name even means diminutive, small. That's what his name means. Paul, our mighty hero of the faith, small. Supposedly in Christian history, and I used to get mad at this description. However, this is just what it says. In the Christian annals, when you read about the martyrs, that he was bald. Okay, I noticed we had this collection of bald guys right in here. You see, they're all with shaved heads, all in two rows. It's hilarious. Uh, I know that, that's the type of thing I notice. I don't know why. Uh, but he was bald, or at least had a nice bald spot. And then he had a big nose, you know, one of those Jewish noses. And then he was a little short guy. And you're thinking, not that impressive. Have you ever read about Paul? Nothing could stop that freight train known as Paul. He was going to testify before Caesar. You throw everything you want against him. Have entire empires try and stamp him out. Have Jews pledge to the death that they will kill him. They cannot stop the diminutive man with the big nose and the bald spot. They cannot stop him. He's built to accomplish his mission. And he will not stagger in accomplishing it. So, that's just a preparatory work. Now remember who I dedicated this to. You see, this is what churns within us. Though we be slight of build, there is an esteem for Christian valor. Now I had some better titles for this, but I decided to stay with this one, even though it's not as exciting. Just because, you know what? It's conservative and it says it. Listen to this. Proverbs 24.10. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Okay, let me make a statement uh, about the church of Jesus Christ today. Our strength is small. Because when adversity comes, we are not prepared for it. American Christianity, if I'm just going to be specific, I know we have some Canadians in here and we have other countries represented at Ellerslie. But American Christianity is famous for having adversity and complaining about it. Because everything's supposed to go easy and it's supposed to be comfortable for us. We're used to ease. If you have a pain in your body and you cannot find your Advil, what comes out of your mouth? Complaint. It should be right here in the cupboard. We don't know how to deal with pain. We don't know how to deal with hardship. We don't know how to deal with difficulty. We don't know how to deal with these things. And as a result, we're cowards before them. You see, we're not built for battle. Now, I know this is going to sound, I don't want to really want to talk as a soldier as if I am in the midst of enemy fire and there's bullets whizzing by me. I have not been in the theater of war in the natural sense. I do know battle in the spiritual sense. And when you go into battle, bullets whiz by your head. And I tell you what, it is a very difficult thing to maintain soundness of mind at a time when fear is attempting to strike your soul. Have you ever laid in bed at night? Or been woken, awakened in the middle of the night with that terror? I know probably every single one of us has had that at some point in time where literally your body is emptied of strength. 
and you have nothing, and you can hardly even think straight. You're literally, all you can sometimes say is something like, Jesus, Jesus, what's going on? You see, have you ever also heard a creak in your house at night? And of course, your mind goes to the worst. What could be? And so it's a foreboding. And I want you to realize this is the exact opposite of Christian valor. You see, a Christian valor actually defaults to the point of God is in command. In every moment, God is in command. That is the key thought. God rules. God is in command. I'm in the hollow of his hand. Always. Now, I don't know how many of you like getting out of bed. You know, some of us like to have the baseball bat that we grab and we go walking through the house. I don't have a baseball bat, so it's a little awkward for me. It's like, could you imagine how threatening I would be? Okay, but we're walking out. Now, here's what I do. It's like an exercise of soul. I deliberately have to walk into the dark corner or the dark room and say, I am not about to tremble. What, what's the worst that could happen? Okay, I guess I could be shot. I could have terrible things. Yeah, okay, that is pretty bad. But in other words, to go straight in and say, you know what? My God rules. I have a job to do, and that's to protect my home. And so I know it sounds completely smallish next to some guy braving the winds of war and going straight into enemy fire. But I tell you what, for us men to open up that door in the downstairs corner of the basement and just walk in with chest bared, turn on the light and say, come what may, that's courage, valor. That's our practice ground, okay? But when, if ever, we were to see something in the dark that seemed formidable, what happens to your knees? They give out on you. I want you to realize what Christian valor is. Your knees never give out. You never go slack-jawed. You never go weak-minded. You never fall apart in the moment of calamity. You are built to stand firm in the most dire moments. It's Christian valor. You see, every single one of us esteems what I'm saying right now. Every single one of us wants it. However, if you're not built for it, then when the calamity comes, you collapse. You're built on small things. It's the same with if you're lifting weights. When you're lifting weights, you start with lighter weights. You do not start with a 300-pound bench press. Okay, just as a word of wisdom. There's probably some guys out there that could start from scratch with 300 pounds. But for the most of us, if we stick 300 pounds onto our chest, it collapses our chest. Okay, and that's the way most of us function in life. We have not trained on 50 pounds and grown up to 100 pounds and then to 150 pounds and then to 200 pounds. And by the way, anyone who's lifted weights knows the increments don't jump by 50. But we haven't trained in the lighter weights to be prepared for the heavy weights. You know that if you bench 300 pounds daily when a 300-pound weight comes flying your way, you're not intimidated by it? And that's the issue in the church. We have not been trained on heavier weights, and as a result, we're cowards when they come. God wants to build us for 700-pound bench pressing. He wants to build us for the most stout behavior that this world has ever seen when the rest of the world collapses in fear and anxiety. The Christian keeps standing, and everyone looks and says, what do they have? It's not human muscle. It's Jesus. Prove your Jesus in and through your valor. Okay, here's a quote. I think I've given it before, but it's 
it's worthwhile bringing out of the mothballs here. It's a great quote from Martin Luther. If I profess with loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God except that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ. However boldly I may be professing Christ, where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. See, you can be bold in this area of your life. But when truth is in the ascendant, when that little point is being measured in your soul, that's the test. See, some of us, and I remember, I think it was Dan McConaughey, you know, Chuck Norris, a.k.a. Chuck Norris at Ellerslie. He was saying to me the other day, and I, I was pondering it. I think we were talking about diligence. It was some form of character discussion. And he said, you know what? Some of us are diligent in 95% of our life, but if we're not diligent in 5%, did you know that we're not diligent? Because we're measured by our weakest point. And guess what? The world will see us in that 5%. And how dare we say, oh, I'm diligent, if in 5% of our life, we're not. You see, that's exactly what this is saying. There's an aspect of your life where God is training you and testing you. And that is the point that you must learn to stand. I don't want you to evaluate, but I'm really strong in this area, this area, this area, and this area. I don't care about that. I care about where you're weak right now. That is the point of testing and proving. And God will give you the grace that you need To exert the authority of his kingdom power in that arena. We need valor not for taking out the trash and braving the garage. We need valor for standing when everyone sits. So do we even have a Christian in this room? Ha ha ha. Who would be idiotic enough to be a Christian? Then guess who stands up? You do. And says, I guess I would be considered the idiotic one in here. Do you have any questions for me? Who has the guts for it? I tell you what, it sounds noble right now to do something like that, but it's hard in the moment. Your knees do knock. But that's what you're built for. You need to be built on the small occasions to be strong for the big ones. Oh, there's the word. There's even a poetry to it. It's like a beautiful, strong... If you could use it, I don't say this about words very often, but it's a handsome word. It is. It's a handsome word. It's a leading man type of word. Okay, and it's a strong jaw to it. Valor. Oh, I love it. See, I don't know. I love words. I don't know about you guys, uh, but I love words. I remember running into a, uh, my counterpart down in, I think it was Australia. I was down in Australia, and I ran into my counterpart. She was like a two-year-old girl, and she was sitting at the table. We were sitting around in a large circle uh, at a restaurant uh, talking at a, at a table, and I, I said the word lobby. And she looked up and she goes, lobby. <laughs> and she laughed. And she went back to drawing. And her parents said, yeah, she really likes words. And so I was, I was fascinated by that because I, I know that feeling. Uh, and so I was just talking and I said, yeah, and out in the lobby, and I said it a little later, I, I waited about three minutes, right? And she looks up and goes, lobby. <laughs> I thought it was great. So that's my counterpart. I love words. I'm moved by words. My mom used to always use words that I was like, I don't like that word. She's like, I don't think it matters if you like the word or not. That's just what you need to do. She was like, I remember her saying, gird up your loins, Eric. I don't want loins, number one, and I don't want to gird them up. Okay, that's just awkward sounding. I mean, I actually love the concept biblically of what gird up your loins means, but who wants loins? 
Who wants to admit that they have loins? Okay? And so I'm deeply impacted by words. Well, in the opposite, too. Valor. It moves me. It stirs me. I want it. So here's the definition of valor for all of you. Now, this is the Eric Ludi expanded, amplified edition version of it. Okay? So you'll see why I love this word. It's fearlessness when the bullets are flying. Okay, let's just stop there. Fearlessness when the bullets are flying. Do any of us pop out of the womb and not fear danger? You know that it's natural to fear danger? It's natural to fear bullets flying. It's natural to fear uh, arrows flying. It's natural to fear someone swinging a sword at your head. It is not that we come out of the womb with the propensity to say, bring your best. We cower naturally. We must be trained to be fearless. We must be trained to have a greater confidence than that, that which the natural realm boasts. Fearlessness when the bullets are flying. Unflinching resolve to do that which is right. Though doing what is right may cost a man everything. Undaunted courage in the face of the gravest danger. Manliness when manliness is most needed. I like that. Strength to stand when everyone else has gone weak-kneed. Soundness of mind when everyone else is losing theirs. I want that. I don't have it at the level I esteem it. But you know what? As a little child, it's sort of like looking up at my dad and seeing his, he had big wingtip shoes and he had his briefcase and he wore his suit. And so I, when he was away at, at work, I would go into his closet, I'd get into his suits, I'd stick my feet in his wingtip shoes and carry around his spare briefcase. And I didn't quite fit into the grandeur of the outfit. But you know what? I esteemed it. And you know what is the very starting point in the genesis for the formation of character within any, any of us? You must esteem the virtue of Jesus Christ. You must behold him and say, you have everything that I need. You are everything I love. Everything I delight in is you. And when you behold your God, you become like him. That's the great secret to becoming like Christ is beholding him, worshiping him, loving him. And the very qualities that you esteem, you begin to see cultivated within you. And the very qualities that are opposite that, you begin to detest in you. Have you ever heard it said that the fear of God is loving what God loves and hating what God hates? Well, when you behold God, guess what? You begin to hate what God hates inside of you. And I tell you what, cowardliness, I hate it. I hate it in me. I hate it in the church. I don't want to see it in the people of God, but starting with me. And I know my propensity towards cowardliness. I can talk a big talk, but if I'm not living a big life to match it up, that's a joke, and all of us know it. There's nothing worse than a hypocrite from the pulpit that talks big and lives small. If we're going to talk big, we need to live big. We can't live big without Jesus being big in us. That's the secret to big living, is big Jesus inside. Those shoes belong to him. He's the only one that can fill them. That suit coat belongs to Jesus. He's the only one that can truly fill it. That briefcase is way too heavy for a little one. And so what do we do? We get into Jesus. And we remain in Jesus. And what? guess what? Suddenly our feet fit. Why? Because they're his feet. Suddenly the coat seems snug and right and tailored. Why? Because we're in him and he's the one wearing it. Suddenly we can pick up the lead-weighted briefcase and we can carry it. And do the Father's business in this world. 
the anatomy of valor. I'm going to break this up into six component parts. I'm just going to read them through and then I'll go through them each individually. The glory ache. It's an ache that says anything for Jesus. Anything. I don't care what it costs me. Anything for Jesus. The drive for the underdog. Built strong to stand in the gap. For whatever reason, you have a love for the weak. If they're the underdog, you're on their side. Just without even thinking about it, you take the side of the underdog. The unflinching stance, fearlessness, fearless and without hesitation. Four, ten, the tensile strength, built to carry impossible weights. Five, the ever readiness, sword drawn, itching for the opportunity to wield the manly strength. Number six, the incorrigible cheerfulness, craves a challenge for challenge is a stimulus of spiritual construction. Now, I'm going to go through these, okay? So I'll spend more time on each of these. Number one, the glory ache. Now, it's very important that we define glory. Glory is going to be the picture, the unshrouded, unveiled picture of something. It's full virtue. It's full majesty. You see, what we have, if, if all we saw of the mountains was this curtain right here. We said, you know, on the other side of that curtain is a glorious mountain scene. And you could see through, and I go, it's just full of light and grandeur. Now, you're seeing something, aren't you? Look into that curtain. You can see a little glow through it. You know there's light back there, and so you believe it. I believe it. And if someone said, have you seen the glory of the, of the mountain scene? Yeah, I've seen it. But you haven't seen it to its full measure. You've just seen a little light shining. Especially if we had a, the room dark and we covered up the windows, that light would be a little more pronounced. And you'd say, I've seen the light. I've seen it. However, there's a big difference between what you're seeing and what is the full glory of that mountain scene. We need to remove those curtains, pull them back, and allow the glory to be made manifest. You know, that's what the Christian life is. That curtain is us. Jesus Christ moves in. We move into him. He moves into us. But there's still a curtain but there's a hope of glory, and that's Christ being in us. And with every step of obedience, you know what happens? The curtain goes, kink, and pulls a little. And suddenly there's light shining through. It's not us. The light is not us. But we, as we decrease, that light increases. We decrease. The light increases. Pretty soon, those curtains are pulled back. And the world is beholding majesty once again in this generation. Well, that's Christianity. That's what we're built for. We're built to be glory bearers. Here's what I want you to realize. Valor is based on a premise that you have to see the glory of God made manifest in this generation. How could they not see him? How could they not behold him? How could they live without seeing the glory and the majesty of our king? And so you are moved at the deepest level. You know what missionaries are supposed to be moved by? The glory ache. They are moved to see Jesus be known, Jesus to be seen. You know what also moves us? When we look at our Christian culture today, we see a dead church. We see people that have thrown out Christianity. Why? Because of a dead, hypocritical church. You know what the glory ache says? They must see the true thing. They must see it as it actually is. They've seen a counterfeit. Please, Lord Jesus, return to your church. Come forth. Stretch forth your mighty right hand and rescue us. As in the ancient days, as in the generations of old, awake, awake, put on strength. It's a glory ache. I don't know if you've ever felt that. 
but it stirs the Christian. And what does it stir them to? To live a life of valor. You see, if you're really going to bring back the glory of King Jesus in this generation, and you have that ache, you don't care what it costs you. Well, did you know that if you keep allowing that ache to grow, they may say, uh, it could lead to your imprisonment? I mean, bad things could happen if you keep talking like that. You know what? It could lead to your death and your martyrdom. So be it. Someone must stand. Someone must proclaim. You see, we have partaken, even if it's of a sliver of the glory of our king. We've seen it. And we're moved and we're changed and something must be done about it. Now, here's how a lot of men are built. Men are built as thrill seekers. Okay, I know there are women that are built this way too. But we're built and wired to find thrill, like bungee jumping, okay? Bungee jumping, a lot of guys have sort of confused that for masculinity or for valor. Because in the face of danger and grave, you know, possibilities, they could, you know, smash, you know, the, the bungee cord could break. And they face it with fearlessness and undauntedness. I want you to realize, it's not that that's bad, it's just that that's not valor. See, God isn't looking for you to spend yourself on the side of a cliff because of a bungee jump cord, bungee cord, broke and snapped. It's like, yay, what an end. Now, God doesn't mind you ending up dying on those cliffs, but he'd rather have it be for the glory of his name. Okay? In other words, his goal isn't to just keep you alive. He'll spend you. But he wants you to be spent for his glory and not for a thrill. So men are built for this. We really are. Now, I know, see, I wasn't wired for this. I wasn't trained for this when I was growing up. I have no attraction to bungee jumping. I have no attraction to, what's it when you jump out of a plane and just sort of skydiving? Yeah, you see, skydiving and Eric Ludi don't go hand in hand. I don't run with the bulls in Pamplona, okay? I do not look at a steep cliff and go, you know what, I just feel like I need to climb that thing. I'm not wired that way. And it was almost like from a young age, I was not groomed in the version of masculinity. Okay? And that's what's interesting is some of you can identify with me, and then some of you are looking at me like, what a wimp. Our measurement of valor isn't based on bulls in Pamplona. It is based on a willingness to rise up in this generation, in the toughest, most difficult hour, and identify with Jesus. I remember my sister saying it this way. Eric, put yourself at the cross. Jesus is on the cross. And the whole mob and rabble around him is mocking him, ridiculing, hurling insults at him. At that moment, that is the point of testing to see if a man flinches. Are you willing to walk up to the base of that cross, turn and face that crowd, have them all look at you and go, What are you doing? Get away from there. And you stick your finger up into the air and you say, I'm with him. No matter what you do to me, I'm with him. He's your rightful king. Look what you're doing to your Messiah. He is the one I will serve. And I do not serve public opinion polls. Valor. I want you to know that's far more difficult than bungee jumping any day. There is something that terrorizes the soul when it comes to going against public opinion. And we're not naturally wired for that. So whereas we might be wired as men to do crazy things, 
we're not necessarily wired to spurn public opinion and to go against the masses and to die a hated criminal naked on a cross. None of us are wired for that. We're wired for self-preservation. And that's why valor must spurn self-preservation. It must deliberately choose to go after God's glory instead of self-preservation. He that speaks of himself seeks his own glory. This is Jesus speaking. But he that seeks his glory that sent him, the same is true and no unrighteousness is in him. We seek the glory of the one that sent us, Jesus Christ. Number two, the drive for the underdog. It's a strange thing. You know, some people, when it comes to sports, will always pick the team that's going to win, and that's the one they cheer for. It's the one that won the Super Bowl the last year, and then they become the fan. That's not impressive. How about the one who's literally stable with their team all those years? I was always a football fan growing up, so I used to, these people would jump team to team. It's like, come on. I always get mad at the, the players that would leave their team and, you know, make a fortune in free agency to go with another team. It used to make me so mad. Loyalty! Well, you know what? It's more than just picking a team. This isn't a football analogy. It's going with the weak. That's actually a principle of the kingdom. You want to know who God's fighting for? He's going for the underprivileged. He's going for the weak ones. The poor, the downtrodden, the naked, the hungry, the imprisoned. The ones that do not have what everyone else has. You take a child with two parents, a well-fed, good home, and you take a child without anything on the streets. And God knows his priority. You have royalty here. The one that's on the streets without any protection belongs to God in a very intimate way. And he puts him at the highest of his caste system. Puts a crown upon his head and says, Church, I want you to realize this is who you serve. You serve the little ones. And there's a drive for the underdog within us. And as we give unto that underdog, we're giving unto Jesus. The desire to give strength to those who have none. Number three, the unflinching stance. Soundness of mind, fearlessness, and zero hesitation in the face of the biggest Goliaths and the most insurmountable obstacles. Goliath stood in the valley of Elah for 40 days and boasted. 40 days and an entire nation of Israel trembled. This is a nation of warriors. Okay, so for those of us that think, it's like, oh, yeah, I'd, I'd stand against Goliath. I don't think we understand how serious these things are and how difficult these things are. Saul, who was Israel's Goliath, was trembling. He was a big and mighty man. And to boot, he had God. Why wouldn't you stand up if he had God? He wasn't exactly sure that God was going to stand up for him. He he and God hadn't necessarily been on good terms as of late. And so he was unsteady. That's the same way it is with us. If you don't know what terms you are on with God, guess what? You're not going to stand up very strongly against a Goliath. If you know your position in Jesus Christ and you're firm, you can pull a David. Now, one of my favorite lines in Scripture is it says that when the Philistine arose to go out and meet David, which means he was sitting, Goliath was sitting, he rose to go out and meet David. It says that David, when he saw him, hasted, hasted, which means to move with liquid ferocity as a lion towards his prey. David, the little small guy, mind you, sprinted towards Goliath. Okay, the unflinching stance. It's not just that you don't flinch when the bullets are coming. 
It's that you have such confidence that you're ready to sprint with liquid ferocity as a lion towards his prey. Who was the prey? David? No! Goliath is the prey. In the natural realm, that befuddles us. Don't think according to the natural realm. When you measure us after the natural realm, we're diminutive, small, bald, and big-nosed. We don't have that which looks powerful to this world. They aren't trembling before the church of Jesus Christ today. However, if the church of Jesus Christ becomes what it ought to become, once again in this generation, they have reason to tremble. Because the church of Jesus Christ, when it is functioning as it ought to function, is an unstoppable force. Unstoppable. There is nothing on earth. You could pick all the powers of Islam, try and stack them up against the powers of Jesus Christ, and they will collapse like the Jericho walls. There is nothing that can stand against the church triumphant. We march against the gates of hell, literally, and rip them off their hinges. Do you know who your God is? And do you know that greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world? No weapon that is fashioned against us shall prosper. You need to start digging around in your Bible afresh. Start understanding who Jesus Christ is. King of kings, Lord of lords, all things under his feet. So the unflinching stance. Oh, here's a quote from a guy named David. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine. Have you ever thought that way in your spiritual life? You see, most of us, we see the uncircumcised Philistine, and we literally are struck with fear and terror. Our body is immobilized and paralyzed because of it. Our knees get weak, and we begin to knock them. Our mind gets blurry. When you are giving sway to terror, did you know that you cannot think straight, you cannot reason straight, and you will not make good decisions? When you fall apart because of terror, and by the way, God does not bring terror upon you. This is not coming from God. The enemy is pouncing upon your weakness. You have an open door. You have not been groomed for battle. And so therefore, when the enemy is coming in, he's taking full advantage of the fact that you have no idea how to stand against a Goliath. However, there's a Goliath awaiting each one of us in our lives. There's an Omaha Beach, if you want to measure it in a World War II terminology. An Omaha Beach for every single one of us. But God wants to train us on lions and bears before we get to Goliaths. And if we're willing to embrace lions and bears and the challenges that they bring, because they're not easy challenges, by the way. Bare-handed battle with a lion? You know what? Not what most of us would think of as a fun afternoon in the park. However, I want you to realize if you embrace the challenges and the difficulties in your life now, you will be prepared to walk into the Valley of Elah with all Israel trembling and say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? William Wallace. Now, unfortunately, I didn't have enough time to verify this quote, but it's a quote of William Wallace actually talking about the fact, and I'll just read it. Since my youth, I have learned to not fear anything. He had been in battle. I mean, some of the most grave situations in battle, and he said, his statement was, and I never feared. He didn't fear death. He didn't fear difficulty. He didn't fear the consequences of being struck with a sword and losing an arm and bleeding to death on the side. He didn't care. He wasn't thinking that way. He knew, and his famous statement was, God armeth the patriot. 
When you stand up to defend your fatherland, you know that's what patriot is? Patria, father, fatherland. A patriot is one who defends that which is entrusted to him. So you defend your marriage. You defend your children. You defend your church. You defend your community. It's a patriot. You defend your nation if necessary. Hey, you don't belong here. Get out. You know, how, does a patriot, how is a patriot built? By starting to defend their own mind and their own heart. You see, if you don't defend the fatherland to start with, you're not going to be a good defender of your marriage. You're not going to be a good defender of your children. You're not going to be a good defender of the church. You start by being a patriot in your own soul. Since my youth, I have learned not to fear anything. Is there anything that the enemy can bring against you that you should tremble before? It's a great test for your soul. Just ponder that. Think of the worst. Should you tremble? Is there any reason to tremble? Well, according to some of the greatest men and women that have gone before us, they would testify to the fact that there's never a reason to tremble before the enemy. There's never a reason to tremble before the enemy. Don't you realize who has won? Who is the victor? And no matter what they do to you, do you know that God will supply you grace to endure it with dignity and to be strong until the end? If you allow God to work in and through you and to build you now into a great and mighty man or woman of God, then you will be great also at, I know this is not a popular word, but you will be great at suffering. You will suffer well. You will suffer with dignity. You will suffer in such a way that when even those that are doing the dastardly work on you will have to behold the living God in and through you. Who is this? No matter what we bring against them, out comes Jesus. No matter what we do, we do our best and out comes Jesus. Number four, the tensile strength. Built supernaturally strong, equipped to handle impossible weights without complaint, without panic, without breaking down under the pressure. I know if you've been at Ellerslie or if you've been, I think, in our church long enough, you've probably heard me testify to the fact that when I was 28 years old, I'm 41 now, so 13 years ago, I was in the hospital with a stress disorder. That's embarrassing, especially in a message like this with the context of such grandeur. And Eric has to get up and testify to the fact that I had a problem in handling my anxiety. And it was such a problem that, I mean, I had, we stepped into ministry and I had no idea what I was getting myself into, okay? I expected Christians to behave like Christians. I expected when you come into churches that everyone would be nice and loving and serve you. Instead, I got knives in the back. Like, where did the, a Christian? How could that be? I mean, we had so many bizarre situations, and we had problem after problem after problem, crisis after crisis after crisis. And I'm thinking, no one prepared me for this. God, I'm serving you, and I expect things to be easy because you're God. No, because of the wiring of how this earth works, you expect things to be difficult. You don't expect them to get easier because you know Jesus. You actually expect them to get more difficult. How? Ever. You have all the grace you need to endure that difficulty with triumph and leaping for joy. A smile that is undaunted, a song that never ceases. They throw you in prison and you sing. They threaten to feed you to the lions and you praise God that your time has finally come. And they're like, shut this man up. You can't shut us up. We've beheld the living God. So yes, it gets more challenging, but that's not what we focus on. We focus on the fact that with every challenge comes more God. 
I get more God. So you do your best to me and I get more of God. Hey, this is a good deal. Do your best. Because we get more God out of it. We get more joy. We get more love. We get more peace. With every trial comes more God. When you're a Christian, you begin to understand that. Hey, why would I fear that? This is an increasing of grace in my life. I remember Jackie Pollinger saying, she lived in the walled city of Hong Kong. It was 40-some years. One of the most dangerous, destitute places on earth. Even the police wouldn't go in there. And she said to Americans, American Christians, you may have your own bed, but I know God's grace. I remember thinking, wait a minute. She sure does sound excited about that. Because I would naturally prefer my own bed. But she seems to know something I don't know. And it's something that can only be found through difficulty. Something that can only be found through walking a narrow way that no one else on earth is willing to walk. And yet when a Christian barrels forward and pioneers that narrow way, then suddenly they turn around and go, Hey guys, you really need to follow. This is good stuff. No matter what the enemy brings, there's triumph. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's trying. But just like gold and fire, it refines it and makes it more pure. Some of you are saying, could I have the pure gold without the fire, though? That's what I'm interested in. That's an American thought. That is not a biblical thought. There's only one way to get purity, and that's through fire. There's only one way to bear more fruit, and that's through pruning. There's only one way to drive foolishness out of the heart of a child, and that's through the rod of correction. There's only one way to get there. If you esteem it, you go through the narrow channel. I remember a guy named Winky Prattney, he's an evangelist from New Zealand, said, life is only had on the far side of the cross. And we're always trying to figure out a way around that cross. Why does that thing have to be in the way? Hey, can I have a little of that on my life? Well, if you walk this channel... You have to go through the cross and deny self and die to your old way of doing things, give up everything. You need to be that corn of wheat that falls into the ground to bear much fruit. You want that life, eh, can't give it to you any other way. <sighs> you see, we think like Americans. And Americans want ease. Americans want comfort. We want all benefit without any cost to us. Well, guess what? That's not God's system. It costs you everything to get all of God. You give up your life, and guess what? You can have all of God. You just have to forsake everything. Leave it all behind and say, you know what? That's more important. That's what I'm here for. And guess what? It's God. It really is. I didn't even give this message. I just told you. I said I was in the hospital at the age of 28. Yeah, that, that's all that you know. Stress disorder. I remember walking through the Pittsburgh airport with Leslie. We'd just gone through one of the most stressful events I'd ever been in my entire life. I remember laying in bed the night before. We had a problem with our sound system. I didn't know if we were going to have our sound system ready for the morning. And I, I couldn't breathe. Sharp chest pain. I didn't tell Leslie. She's like fine sleeping there. I'm like, <gasps> and this is pathetic. It really is. Okay, first of all, when I look at the challenges I had back then, they were nothing compared to what I have now. And so I'm looking at this young Eric going, come on, buddy, be a man. However, I wasn't groomed for this. I wasn't trained for difficulty. I was trained to expect things to be easy. I was trained to try and make them easy on myself. That's what I was built for. I'm an American. We look for the easiest way to get to something, to get to our end. I didn't know that God would have anything to do with difficulty. I mean, why would he? 
This is bad stuff. Get it out of my life. And so I didn't know how to process it. And so instead of faith, guess what? I had anxiety. Isn't it funny that we actually think anxiety does a wit of good for us? It's like, if I just stress about it, then maybe my circumstances will change. It's idiocy, truly, at the highest level. But we have a need for something. You see, in my soul, whenever I would face a difficulty, I would collapse. I would. I was not built to be strong. When the winds and the rains would come against my house, I would collapse. And from a young age, I had given in to anxiety. It happened in our first year of marriage, and I think I've told you guys this story, at least some of you, where I was moving with Leslie back to Colorado. So this is 17 uh, years ago. Uh, We're moving back to Colorado, and I was going around. I had my stuff in this location, this barn here, this person's basement over here. And it was a mishmash of locations. And I like to pack things just right and make sure they're stable and make sure they're tied down and no scratches on things. Instead, I had no choice. I had to stick this stuff in, then go to the next place, stick that stuff in, then stick the next stuff in. It's like all wobbly and stressful. Oh, I finally closed the door to the rider truck, put on the lock. I was like, oh, oh, you know, leaning as a victim against the rider truck. And then I walked into our little condo and looked straight through the back window out onto the porch. And lo and behold, my grill was out there. And I gave in to anxiety. I literally said, it's okay. You can come in. Do whatever you want in my soul because you deserve it. And I guess I deserve it too. And you know that I was paralyzed with anxiety? I was laying on the floor. Leslie came to me like, what's wrong with you? I mean, it's just embarrassing to think about. And then, you know what? I started a pattern. When I would get to a stressful moment in my life, like before events sometimes, when we were having terrible things happen behind the scenes, I'd be laying on the floor of the green room, paralyzed. Before I'd go out and speak, I literally, this thing had control over me. I didn't know how it worked. I remember God getting a hold of me when I was in the hospital And I was pondering, would Jesus ever be in a hospital with an anxiety disorder? Hmm. No. I think it's a pretty obvious answer. No. So what's wrong with me? It's not Jesus. It's me that's the problem. Something's wrong. I'm front lines ministry. I'm sharing the gospel. I'm giving good news. I need some good news. What's wrong with me? First of all, I had to recognize that I had given place in my life to anxiety. And it was legal access. And I needed to legally annul that access and make that very clear in the spiritual realms. I do not allow this into my body. And secondly, I needed to be rebuilt. I was weak. That's where tensile strength comes in. Amy, Amy Carmichael, Elizabeth Elliot, I was reading one of her books at the time, and she made a statement. She said, God took me through a season of training me in tensile strength. I remember thinking, I have no idea what that is. So I looked it up in the dictionary. I did. That's how I found out about tensile strength. I looked it up. And it's the measurement of rope, and it's the measurement of springs. It's probably the measurement of other things as well. But it basically is based on the fact of how much weight something can handle and for how much time it can handle it. And so I began to recognize the fact that, first of all, my soul could handle zero weight for zero minutes. You know what? I needed some tensile strength. My soul was not built to carry weight. I remember uh, I was associated with the pastoral staff way back in that day. And they took us to a movie. 
which I wouldn't recommend it, but it was, a, it was a movie about the Bay of Pigs and John F. Kennedy and Bobby Kennedy and the decisions they were making. I remember watching this movie in the movie theater and literally going into one of my anxiety attacks. I could not handle the decisions they were trying to make. They need, they need to make that. It was ridiculous. It's a movie. Okay, and that's when I recognized the fact that, okay, God, if you're building me to be a leader in this generation, you need to build me. Because this stinks. This is reprehensible. And that's when God began to train me in tensile strength. I used to always whisper, in fact, I still do a little, tensile strength, tensile strength, tensile strength. You see, I'd always repelled difficulty. And now I started embracing it. If there's a difficulty, that's my opportunity to learn tensile strength. And so I began to rejoice whenever difficulty would come. I started with my alarm clock. When that alarm clock goes off, I'm going to rejoice. Tensile strength. Click it off. Tensile strength. I get to get up in the morning. Yes, it's hard. But if I respond rightly to the difficulty, guess what? I'm going to be stronger. And then Leslie was pregnant, I remember, and she had, uh, you know, these things that women go through in the middle of the night. They need bowls of cereal, you know, and it has to be three times in a night, okay? And they need odd things in the night, too. Well, guess what my, aunt, uh, my response was? Tensile strength, tensile strength, tensile strength. I would get up in my boxers and sort of dance and skip down the hall, down into the, into the lower level, make the bowl of cereal, skip back up. Here you go. I tell you what, it changed my life. I became a new man, a happier man, when I began to embrace difficulty instead of complain about it. I want you to realize I am giving you a nugget of gold in that truth. Embrace the difficulty. Don't spurn it and get mad at it and look for some pain reliever for it. Learn to embrace that which God is doing in you. Every day has loads of opportunity to grow. And guess what? I don't, whatever, how many years that is, 13, I literally am a completely different man. The weights that I carry now compared to what I carried when I was 28, which I thought were overwhelming. I remember the doctor saying, well, I only see this type of uh, condition in, you know, e executives that are 56 years old. You know, that's what he said when I was 28. It's sort of like, what in the world are you doing, son? I was carrying a lot of weights, and I was even telling myself, yeah, I'm just carrying so much weight. Well, I carry at least 100 times more weight than I did when I was 28. Now, I don't have an ounce, a scrap of anxiety in my life. Not a scrap. I love my life. Yeah, do I have difficulty? You bet I do. I can smile. Leap for joy. There is strength to handle it. There is. You must move forward and find it. R.M. Ballantyne, this is uh, a little quote that's in the front of one of our other messages, Hero Training. Uh, the Gorilla Hunters uh, is the book that this was quoted from. Listen to this. Boys should be inured from childhood to trifling risks and slight dangers of every possible description, such as tumbling into ponds and off of trees, etc., in order to strengthen their nervous system. They ought to practice leaping off heights into deep water. They ought never to hesitate to cross a stream over a narrow, unsafe plank for fear of a ducking. They ought never to decline to climb up a tree to pull fruit merely because there is a possibility they're falling off and breaking their necks. I firmly believe that boys were intended to encounter all kinds of risks in order to prepare them to meet and grapple with risks and dangers incident to man's career with cool, cautious self-possession. We don't get quotes like that anymore. Literally, could you imagine? This, this was the author to young boys. And young boys, I mean, when he died, his... His gravesite, I think even his funeral was loaded with, I don't know, tens of thousands, maybe a hundred thousand young boys. These young boys caught a vision for living 
in such a way where they embrace danger and embrace difficulty. Young boys, could you imagine? This is like a mom's worst nightmare quote. It's like, no, no, don't let my son hear that. However, how is a boy going to be prepared for battle in the future to face the most difficult and trying circumstances unless he learns on an unsafe plank, unless he learns to do things that would literally charge his system to recognize, it's like, you know what? I must move forward. A boy is built to become a man. He's designed that way. And a man is meant to do the toughest tasks on earth. Who are we expecting to do it? It's the men. The men are the ones built to go into the darkest points of danger, the darkest channels, the darkest places on earth to rescue the weak. Who's going to go there unless we learn to go there when we're young? growing up. You know, this isn't the darkest corridors of danger. This is a practice ground that R.M. Valentine is talking about. And we could have a discussion of what it should look like. You know, I'm not just going to go tell Hudson, yeah, go on, climb up that tree and just jump off. <laughs> Stupidity isn't what we train our children for. However, fearlessness is. We train them to not tremble. We train them to not be afraid of risk and to be afraid of dangers around them. However, we also don't train them to be idiotic. Number five, the ever readiness. 100% ready, 100% of the time, to give 100%. Itching for a glory fight, always itching for a glory fight. You see, a man, when he's built this way, itches for the opportunity. You know, I know some Ellerslie students, even in here, it's just like, I have something that needs to come out. See, there's an itch for a fight. Not, not a fight like punching someone in the nose. It's a grappling with the powers of darkness over a soul. Give me a battle, please. So there's nothing worse than not being on active duty for a soldier. I was like, oh, I need to get out there. I need to be fighting. I need to be exerting the strength that I have. I remember reading these war books. But one of my favorite books was a book called With Fire and Sword. It's like this classic Polish book about Polish history, and it's long. Uh, but it's uh, in it. It's a best-selling book in Poland for 100 years, by the way. Won the uh, Nobel Prize for Literature in its translations. Great book, by the way, with fire and sword. But in it, it's so interesting because I wasn't raised with any attraction to battle at all, okay, at all. And these men could not handle not being in battle. They yearned, and I'm thinking, they're going to die if they go to battle. That's what goes through my head. They're going to get injured. Why would they want to go to battle? They're built for it. I want you to realize we as Christians are built for battle. We're supposed to be. Now, I realize we're not right now, but we're supposed to be. Where we literally have a desire to engage with the enemy. We have a desire to take that which God has given us and exert it. Okay, this is a great quote. Okay, now I'm going to take my time going through this quote because you have to catch it. It's from C.T. Studd, which, by the way, is one of my favorite guys in all of history. Even his name, think about that, C.T. Studd. I mean, how could you not be a great guy uh, with a name like that? Every true soldier is a hero. A soldier without heroism is a chocolate soldier. And so basically what he's saying is, if you're a soldier but you lack the heroic dimension of a soul, valor, you're a chocolate soldier. You're not a real soldier, you're a chocolate soldier who has not been stirred to scorn and mirth at the very thought of a chocolate soldier. I mean... We're stirred to scorn and mirth 
at the very thought of a chocolate soldier. There's nothing worse than a soldier who's not a real soldier. If you're a soldier, be a real soldier. Be a man. Don't be a chocolate soldier. In peace, okay, here's the line. You need to focus on this because the way C.T. writes is, you know, it's very poetic, but you have to catch it. In peace, true soldiers are captive lions fretting in their cages. They're captive lions. They're in a time of peace. They're meant to go, to exert the growl that they have. But they're captive lions fretting in their cages. War gives them their liberty and sends them like boys bounding out of school to obtain their heart's desire or perish in the attempt. Battle is the soldier's vital breath. Peace turns him into a stooping asthmatic. (laughs) War makes him a whole man again and gives him the heart, strength, and vigor of a hero. Okay, now it's still going, okay? Now you need to read this quote again. All my notes are always available about a week later online. Okay, so sorry that I don't have copies for you of this quote, so you can just take it and look at it. Uh, I just read that. Something, is that the same one? To obtain their heart's desire, perish in the temple, battle is the soldier's vital breath. Peace turns, okay, now we already read this, let's see, and gives him the heart, strength, and vigor of a hero. Every true Christian is a soldier of Christ, a hero par excellence. Braver than the bravest, scorning the soft seductions of peace and her oft-repeated warnings against hardship, disease, danger, and death, whom he counts among his bosom friends. Okay, now see, I don't know if you caught that. But literally, he's braver than the bravest. He scorns the soft seductions of peace and her oft-repeated warnings against a few things. You see, peace has some warnings against hardship, disease, danger, death. Oh, those are terrible. And look at what he says. But the bravest of the brave, the Christian soldier, counts these things amongst his bosom friends. The otherwise Christian, this is the the Christian that, you know, isn't that. He's not the true soldier. The otherwise Christian is a chocolate Christian, dissolving in water and melting at the smell of fire. Sweeties they are, bonbons, lollipops, living their lives in a glass dish or in a cardboard box, each clad in his soft clothing, a little frilled white paper to preserve his dear little delicate constitution. Leave it to C.T. Studd. Oh, that's good stuff. By the way, most of us are in that little frilled white paper. That's the way we were raised. We were raised in a little cardboard box as a little chocolate soldier. We need this message. Every single one of us does. And I'm not just saying the men, the the women. We're all called to be Christ's soldiers. We're called to be engaged in a very real battle. Number six, the incorrigible cheerfulness. Now, I have a whole message called incorrigibly cheerful. Or is it called incorrigible cheerfulness? It's one of those two. But that's a good message, okay? You guys, if you could pick one, I, I almost would recommend that one. That's a great one. Incorrigible cheerfulness. It delights in difficulty, smiles at danger, winks at dire straits, for he is convinced that every difficulty only serves to make him stronger, and he's right. If you were convinced that every difficulty made you stronger if you handle it correctly, if you face your difficulties correctly, it makes you stronger. If you have that mentality, you know that there's nothing that can dim your perspective or your attitude? Nothing. It's a Cheerio and milk. Push it down and bloop, comes right back up to the surface. It's unsinkable. Okay, it's like, you ever seen one of those 
blocks of resin. Uh, it's like one of those artifacts that you find in the ground from, you know, thousands of years ago. And it has some little creature stuck in it. You know what? You could take out a sledgehammer and hit that block of resin. The block of resin will bounce around the room. But what happens to the creature within it? It's unshaken, unmoved. You're untouchable, immovable. You don't fear the sledgehammer. Why? Because you're firmly in the grasp of Jesus Christ. And nothing can touch you there. Nothing. Okay, here's another C.T. Studd quote. He definitely fits this message. Christian valor is an enunciation of C.T. Studd. Difficulties, dangers, disease, death, or divisions don't deter any but chocolate soldiers from executing God's will. When someone says there is a lion in the way, the real Christian promptly replies, that's hardly enough inducement for me. I want a bear or two besides to make it worth my while to go. All there is is a lion? Could you imagine? Yeah, but there's a lion in the way. Is that all? Hey, give me a bear or two besides to make it worth my while to go. We crave the challenge. We don't just accept the challenge. We get a smile on our face and say, you know, increase the ante. Come on, come on. Until it's impossible, it's a waste of my time because God is the God of the impossible. That's possible. Make it impossible. We relish the impossible. Who are these people that would ever think this way? They're Christians. This is what Christianity has always been. We do not live after the natural. We live after the supernatural. And the supernatural speaks a greater, stronger word than anything we see in this natural realm. And we believe it. That's what makes us Christians. We're believers. We believe it. I believe it. God said it. He cannot lie. And then we walk. And we walk into the darkest dark, the most hellish hell, knowing that we represent the light. And if we go on God's mission, on God's commission, we're untouchables and unstoppable. And we're fearless in the process. Oh, to see such a Christianity on the stage of time. You meant, this is Joseph speaking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. I don't care what the enemy conspires, how he plots to destroy your life. If you rest in the hollow of God's hand, God will mean it for good. He'll take everything the enemy has up his sleeve to destroy you, and he'll turn it into even a greater testimony of his great grace and love. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Do you know that? That is the assurance of the saints of God throughout the ages. And this is the source of Christian valor. God armeth the patriot. God gives grace unto those that are following and heeding his commission. You do not fear what the enemy can do to you. You tremble before one, and that's the living God who has given you your commission. So here's a quote that I said at the very beginning. If I profess with loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God except that little point, which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ. However boldly I may be professing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. Training for the bully. Building the unflinching boy. I can't remember if I shared this with you guys, but it's basically my thoughts in training up Hudson for dealing with bullies. Okay, now, bullies pick on little ones. 
They pick on one smaller than them. That's what makes them a bully. No one would call them a bully if they picked on people bigger than them. Okay? It's because they're picking on people smaller. Well, who's the bully? It's Satan. Satan's the bully. Who's he picking on? He picks on the weakest ones on earth, the orphans and the widows, those that are lonely, confused. He plagues them, and he hounds them. Hey, how do you handle the bully? See, when I was growing up in elementary school, I was in the public school system, and across the street was a park. And, you know, the bully would always say to the little skinny guy, meet me after school in the park. And unfortunately, that little skinny guy who didn't want to meet the bully in the, school after, uh, in the park after school had no choice because the bully's cronies would pick him up and carry him there if necessary. You see, that little scrawny kid was going to meet his day with the bully no matter what. The bully would make sure of it. See, that park was on my way home. And so one day I decided to stop in the park and see what actually happened down there. It was a grave mistake of mine. I went down and I saw the bully wallop this little skinny kid. I mean, that little guy was not very big. And he walloped him, falls down, and then he starts pounding him in the nose. And I tell you what, what I saw that day shocked me. I didn't even know things like that existed in my little innocent stage in elementary school. But here's the key point I want to mention. I did nothing. I didn't do anything. What am I going to do? Stand in front and get my nose pummeled in like that? I was fearful. I'm small. I'm about the size of a little skinny kid. What am I going to do? So what would I train Hudson to do? And here's what I want to do. As I'm telling you what I would train Hudson to do, I want you to realize... You're the little boy being trained. You're the little child in the kingdom of heaven that's being trained to stand up to the bully. You see, I don't train my son to fight. It's not like I'm teaching him, okay, here, when the bully swings this way, I want you to give him an uppercut. That's not what I teach my son. What I teach my son, first and foremost, is how to stand. Because very few on earth will stand. That's the critical dimension of what marks us as Christians, is when everyone else sits, we stand for what is right and what is true. You see, it may look as if the bully wins. It may look as if the bully wins. Remember the cross? It looked as if the bully won, okay? That Satan was chuckling to himself. The son of God was dead. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, no. You see, if the enemy had known what was actually happening, he would have never crucified the Lord of glory. You see, that bully doesn't know what he's stepping into when he runs into the gospel in human form. So here's what Hudson should do. He should stand between the bully and the little kid. And he should say, leave him alone. This is just the classic script from every, you know, bully movie. You know, and the bully says, hey, get out of the way. Otherwise, I'll beat you up too, Ludie. And then what does little Ludie say? Uh, well, you're going to have to get through me to get to him. He stands, unafraid of that which might come against him. What might come against him? Yeah, a big meaty fist from the bully right to his nose. And it might only take one wall, poof, and, you know, suddenly little Hudson's laying on the side, out cold. It doesn't matter. If my son comes back with a bloody nose, and he tells me the story that he stood in the gap between a bully and a little kid, do you know what? I won't, you know, discipline him because he didn't win. I will commend him for standing. You see, what is needed in this generation is someone to stand, because when someone stands, the gospel is preached. You know what everyone around in that circle has seen? First of all, when I saw it, I saw no gospel message, no hope, no victory. But if there was one little kid that stood up and said, this is wrong, leave him alone, you know that the gospel would be preached to every other kid there? 
Who else would be hearing the gospel? The bully would be seeing it. And guess who else? The little kid. Could you imagine the bond that that little kid could have with Hudson from that day forward? That knowing that Hudson stood for him, he wouldn't be like, yeah, and you fell with one punch. It doesn't make any difference. You stand. You see, so many of us do nothing because we know that we might be just a heap on the side of the road. It doesn't matter. That heap on the side of the road is preaching the cross. Are you willing to preach the cross in your little life situation and learn to practice for the big bullies, the big Goliaths in your future by standing for the little ones now? Building the unflinching boy. Training for the temptation. Building the unflinching pure heart. You see, if you've been pushed around by temptation your entire life, we all maybe are vulnerable at, in special little ways, but most of us, you know, we struggle with general things, pretty much the same, okay? Some people, for instance, have a hankering for alcohol that other people in here don't have. I can't stand alcohol, so it's really not a very big deal for me to stay away from it. I don't like it, okay? However, there's some of you that are just like, oh, I have to have it. So your temptation might be uniquely built to get you, you know, for men, lust has been a significant thing. Fear, pride, whatever it is, it knocks. It's like a big juicy steak the enemy sets in front of him and says, take a bite. Take a bite. You'll feel better. You deserve it. Every single one of those things, even fear falls into that category. Come on. Come on. Give way. Give way. If there was ever a reason to be terror struck, if there was ever a reason for anxiety, this is it. Take a bite. Unflinching. You're being built, built with Christian valor. And you need to learn to say no to temptation. If we're training up our children, what are we going to do? We're going to train them how to exert authority in their mind. To say no when the stake is presented to them. No! We must know our position. That's a bully. But it's a different form of attack. It's not a big meaty fist. It's subtlety and craft that is attempting to woo us. And we must be sharp in our soul and not flinch before it. We say no without even pondering it. No. No. It's against God's ways. It's against God's manner. It's against God's purposes. No! Without question, without wavering, without flinching. I don't care if you've been under the thumb of, flat, of, of lust for your entire life as a man. You need to begin to be built in an unflinching manner to say, I am not intimidated by that anymore. I tremble before the living God, not before temptation. My God is sufficient to supply me everything I need to walk the narrow way and to walk it always. Training for the impossible, building the unflinching believer. You must stand firm when you are tried on the issues of doubt, on the issues of shortage of money in your bank account, on the issues of health. You have to know your God. God is going to allow you to walk through what's called the test of faith. And there's going to be times when you are not going to have the resources. There are going to be times when you don't have the energy. There are going to be times when you don't have the solution after the natural. You don't know what to do. I'll tell you what to do. You believe. My God's in control and he knows the situation. We give it to him and we have confidence. How could you have so much confidence? You need to do something about it. My God will do something about it. My job is to believe him. He will give me my marching orders. If he tells me to do something about it, I will. But my job is to believe. My job is to trust him. The impossible is going to be set in front of you and you must know the God of the impossible. And you must not flinch 
in the face of it. God's been training me in this for quite a few years. I've had some impossible, staggering things said in front of me. And here's my quote. I'll share it with you. It's a good quote. This is what I say, and I say it out loud. Watch what my God will do. That's what I say. When the impossible is set in front of me, and it happens, funk, right there. I don't care. Watch what my God will do. Watch what my God will do. He'll start screaming at me, you know, going, eh, eh, eh. Watch what my God will do. And then, pfft. Put it out of its misery. Watch! Watch what God will do. So you can, you can take that quote. It's a good one, isn't it? If I profess with loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God except that little point. What, what is the little point in your life? What is that point of testing where you must understand your position in Christ? You must have Christian valor at that point. Not in all the others where you already might have it. In that point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ. However boldly I may be professing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. Every true, soldier, every true Christian is a soldier of Christ. A hero par excellence, braver than the bravest, scorning the soft seductions of peace and her oft-repeated warnings against hardship, disease, danger, and death whom he counts among his bosom friends. Are your bosom friends hardship, disease, danger, and death? What a strange way that would be to describe your life and your close friendships. Uh, so who are you friends with? Oh, I love hardship. We, we just like that. Do you have a good relationship with difficulty? When it comes, you smile and you nod and you say, I knew you were coming around again. It's good to see you again, friend. God, you do what you need to do in it, where you literally relish. When you see the gunfire begin again, you go, yes, it's time for my God to shine. I love it when the battle rages. You see, every single thing in us, if you're anything like me, there's a part of you that doesn't ever want to see battle again. You don't want any more difficulty in your life. See, I know, we're human. However, when you start to understand how much more dependent and close you get to God in the difficult moments, you begin to crave it. And the times of peace are actually, you get a little restless going, God, come on, where's the trial? I don't know that I can live without a trial. Did you ever hear the story of John Wesley? When he had gone, he was always having people throw something at him. You know, bricks and you know, rocks and uh, bad fruit and uh, bad tomatoes. Uh, and so he, was, he had gone a while and he suddenly was driving on his horse and he recognized the fact that he had not been yelled at for you know, upwards of a week, maybe two. Oh, no. Have I compromised God? Has something gone south in my spiritual life? So he got off of his horse, and this could be legend for all I know, okay? This is just how the story goes. He falls on his face in the middle of the cobblestone path, cries out to God, says, God, search me, try me. Is there anything in me that must be removed? I want to be right with you. And some guy looks over his fence at all the noise, sees John Wesley, and he hates John Wesley and hucks a brick at him. And John Wesley shouts to heaven, thank you. That's good. Are you embracing the bricks? Or are the bricks even being thrown your way? Are you willing to say, God, allow the bricks to start coming? Please train me how to be a true soldier. I'm tired of being the chocolate one. Are we flinching at our shepherd post? This is our hour. This is our watch. David had a post to watch the sheep. And when the lion came, what was he to do? unflinchingly go after the lion. 
unflinching. You know that David did not pause, did not hesitate? His lamb was in the mouth of a lion. You don't mess with hungry lions. I don't know if your mom didn't ever teach you that. He sprints after him, grabs him by the mane, breaks his jaw, and takes back his lion. A bear strolls in, grabs one of his sheep. What does David do? Unflinchingly hastens with liquid ferocity as a lion towards his prey. Grabs the bear. I don't know that it wasn't a description of how he, I think, broke the jaw of the bear, but we'll presume, and takes back his lamb. Is that you in your soul? Is that you over your marriage? Is that you over your family? Is that you in the church of Jesus Christ today? We need Christian valor to return to the stage of time. And I'm going to commission you as individuals to be the one to respond. Not just us as a whole, you as an individual. Because the rest, you know, everyone in here might just, you know, throw this message off and say, that's for someone else. You don't allow that to happen to you. You take it, you grab a hold of it, and you embrace it. I love stuff like this. It doesn't mean I'm the full picture of it, but I see it churning within me. First of all, I delight in it. And I hate cowardliness. And I don't like to see cowardliness inside of me. And I still do at times. And I, it, I'm disgusted by it. But I want God to grow me up. And I want God to grow us up as the church. What if we were a church that had Christian valor? Oh, it excites me. So let's ask God for it. Father, we ask for that valor, that fearlessness, that strength to stand, that soundness of mind. Lord Jesus, may we not go paralyzed in the moment of greatest testing, but may we be fully invigorated with soundness of mind and readiness for battle, readiness to exert, readiness to do that which is needed to bring glory to our King. Lord Jesus, make us strong. Make us strong to stand in the gap for the weak. Make us strong to defend the truth of Jesus Christ in an age where truth has fallen in the streets. Lord, we love you and we thank you for such a privilege to meditate upon such amazing truths. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the Church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message. But do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns, cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.